production. Hello, it's Sarah. I wanted to let you know about my three new meditations I have made especially for you. If you follow the podcast, you'll know that meditation has been a big part of my life for a long time, so a lot of care has been taken in making these meditations extremely powerful. I've created a 20-minute manifestation meditation to allow you to bring your dreams into reality. Then I've created two 10-minute meditations, one for the morning to help you start your day vitalized and with a clear mind, then an evening meditation to help you have a calm and restful sleep. You can find these three meditations on my website at the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com. Diego Perez is the writer behind the pen name Young Pueblo, a poet and an author whose words have been followed by millions on social media. Through Diego's writing and speaking, he aims to support the healing of the individual, realising that when we release our personal burdens, we contribute to a global peace. In his second appearance on A Life of Greatness, we discuss letting go of the past, connecting with the present, and expanding the future. I like to picture this giant web of humanity. People pass on the pain, passing it on, passing it on. What I imagine is that there are going to be more and more people who are like deeply healing themselves, who will know how to process pain when they feel it, process pain when they're receiving it from other people, so that they're not recreating it, and so that they're able to actually heal themselves. So that in this web of humanity, there will be points where pain won't necessarily get passed on. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Diego Perez is the author of several books, including Inward, Clarity and Connection, and his newest book, Lighter. In its essence, this conversation is about leveraging gratitude to overcome obstacles, the importance of embracing pain, and what it means to truly devote oneself to a greater truth. Diego is a friend and an all-round great person who embodies all that he teaches. My hope is that this conversation serves as a reminder that healing, transformation and freedom are possible when you look within. Young Pueblo, or Diego, as you're known to your friends and parents, welcome to a life of greatness for a second time. And we're here again, not only because your work is outstanding, but we're also going to deep dive into your life story, which is all in your new book that you have written called Lighter. And I wanted to start with this line from your new book, The Long Walk Back to a Better Life. And when I read that, it really resonated with me because it is a long walk back to find ourselves again. I think it is. And one, just thank you so much for having me back on. I think our last conversation was so fruitful and exciting and like really nourishing that I was pretty excited to get the chance to speak to you again. But yeah, it has felt like, you know, quite the journey with um, my own personal healing and then having that sort of like parallel this like growing writing career. Um, But especially in the beginning when I really put my foot down and just, you know, stopped doing hard drugs and started feeding myself more nourishing food and 
building habits that were actually going to help me live a better life, like it was brutally difficult. And it took a long time to see the results that I really dreamed of, you know, to like feel a lot healthier for my mind to feel clear and stable. I did see results like as I started, you know, a few weeks in, a few months in, but the real results that I was hoping for and aiming for came like a few years later. And what really resonated with me in that line is we're always doing the work and it is that long walk home in the sense of it takes time, but the journey's never completed. It's never finished. And when I read that, I thought to myself, I've had a few things going on in my life that have thrown me a bit. And I thought, it is that long walk home. I know as much as I do and have studied so much as you have in self-improvement work and different mm-hmm. divisions of that through different cultures. Yet I'm still learning and I'm still walking that journey. And I think we walk that journey home till the day that we die. I think so too. And especially like, it depends on the context that you put that work inside of, right? When yeah. you think of trying to develop unconditional love, like that is a very serious height of human evolution. Mm. Like to be constantly unconditionally loving towards yourself and other beings. We're talking the level of the Buddha or Jesus. And these are levels that I believe are possible for the human being, but they take an immense amount of work. Mm. So for us, you know, human beings who have jobs and, you know, have responsibilities in life, there's still a lot of growing that we can do. And there's so much that we can develop so that we can have longer moments of unconditional love as, a, as opposed to being like precisely unconditionally loving constantly. So, you know, it's a noble aim, but that's why I try to lean towards the idea that we can all be lighter, but we don't necessarily need to be perfectly enlightened. And enlightenment is definitely a worthy, you know, worthy pursuit. But this personal work that we do when we're trying to heal ourselves and sort of clean up our minds so that we can live a better life, it's, it's you know, you're, you're intentionally trying to make your mind lighter. Mm. And you talk about unconditional love, which really can be quite tough and not only unconditional love for others, but unconditional love for ourselves. And I wonder for you, who obviously did drugs at a point and your life was out of control and then you had this moment where things changed and you are where you are, but I wonder how over the journey have you formed that unconditional love for yourself? Uh, That's a great question. I think a lot of it is sort of being really honest with myself about how I'm feeling each day, you know, so I'm not like letting myself fall into delusion. Um, And I'm also trying to be especially honest about the way my external environment conditions me, right? Because I really believe that quote from Jiddu Krishnamurti, um, he once said, the inner creates the outer, but the Mm. outer molds the inner. And I feel like that it's so true that we're creating our reality, but in the same way, our reality is molding us. And over the past few years, my reality has changed a lot with things getting more popular on Instagram, with the books that I've had coming out, reaching a number of people. I try to be really cautious in my mind so that if I do feel like my mind is slipping in a direction that I know if I continued such a path, it would be really unwholesome and and just not good for me, that I can sort of reorient myself so that I'm more, you know, really 
centering myself on the mission that originally started everything. Because uh, I don't want to like have any sense of popularity just make me lose my freedom. Because mm. I feel like above all, like I really enjoy writing, but above all, my personal freedom is like most important to me. And and that means in the sense like I want to be decreasing my ego, not increasing it. Mm. It's really interesting you say that about your inner world reflecting your outer world. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast. And something happened to me the other day. You know, you have periods where you feel that maybe your outer world has kind of shaken you a little bit. And so inside you're not your normal calm self or you're not doing the things that you would normally to create harmony in your life. And I spent the weekend doing very long meditations. So I spent nearly four hours in meditation or over four hours. And it was so beautiful and so calming and it really centered me. And I knew, as I know that you're a big meditator, it got me to a point where I just felt so harmonious inside. And it's so funny, Diego, because instantaneously, both times when I came out of meditation, it was like these synchronicities started to happen where this great person that I've wanted on the podcast, I got an email saying, yeah, love to come on your podcast. Literally, <laughs> when I checked my email as soon as I got out <laughs> of the meditation. And then this other opportunity came for something else that I've been really wanting to do. And I thought to myself, there you go. The universe is showing you when your inner world is peaceful and harmonious and you're full of light and love like you usually are, things will start happening. But it's when the terrain is uneasy and you're not feeling in sync with life that things start to disconnect. So I think what you said is just so unbelievably important. Yeah. And I feel like it's, um, it's especially important too, to understand that it's so much deeper than, um, trying to move forward in a way where you don't want to do things just to get external results. Yes, You want to do things to get right? The internal results that actually bring you that inner peace and you keep developing that peace. And then peace is a harmonious vibration. So it will attract harmony to you Mm. um, and will connect you with harmonious things. So it makes sense that like people who do their deep inner work, um, life takes on a smoother texture and, you know, good things can more easily come to you. Cause if you're sort of full of a lot of like blocks and there's just a lot of tension inside of you, then it'll be really hard for you to reach your goals to attract anything good or to like just make good things happen um so that's why when you want to try to you know a lot of people talk about manifestation for for me personally i'd rather talk about healing because like from that route if you were to focus on just alleviating the tension and the reactions that you create to difficulties in life that that in and of itself will make everything much more harmonious and will bring you the things that especially the good, wholesome things that you want. Because you imagine if you got everything that you craved, like craving isn't necessarily a good thing. That could actually Mm. make your life terrible. It's so funny you bring that up about manifestation because I think like all wellness things, that's a very buzzword that's going on and something that a lot of people want to know more about. And there are different teachings of manifestation. But I have studied it for a long time and I came to the realization going on what you just spoke about that manifestation isn't just creating your desires from your head. It's being peaceful within, as you said. And when you are harmonious and peaceful within, things naturally gravitate towards you. And it's about the feeling inside 
that brings you manifestations rather than you just picturing them and bringing them into your life in other ways that people teach. And really it's a way of being and how we should all strive to be in our life because the feeling of that is beyond anything that one could ever want to desire anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we, you know, keep ourselves depending on what arrives to us from the external environment, then we're always going to be lacking. Yeah. Right. So like if you were to go beyond that and just um, try to like build a deeper well of fulfillment within yourself that isn't just, um, you know, dependent on like what people say to you and and what like your life around you looks like, then you can type you can develop the type of um, the type of peace that you can carry with you as the environment around you moves from chaos to harmony because that's what happens often right like life has its ups and downs and there are moments where it's like boom like everything is just sort of chaotic for a moment and there are these difficulties that happen things that you didn't want to happen are happening but then you're able to tap into that wellspring of peace inside you and similarly when life is good and things are sort of moving around moving along smoothly you can still be present in a very deep way but then you'll also know that yeah these things are also going to change like there will be moments where like you know right now it's peaceful and eventually it won't be peaceful and then it'll be peaceful again and you'll kind of swing between the two but through all of that you'll be able to maintain that clarity so that you can be true to yourself and you know helpful to others yeah do you have many moments of chaos now um not personally like with my like not between like my wife and I or I mean my wife and I obviously like you know we don't, we're not always agreeing and all of that but in my external environment with like you know some of my family members will go through like some really serious hardships where either different family members will be really sick or going through serious things like a divorce you know so yeah. when it's someone that close to you that you feel it you know you you have empathy for them and you want to support them as best mm-hmm. as you can so it's hard to see the people that you love um, struggle and and burn in a way, you know, like see, mm-hmm. see them really go through things that, that you just can't fix. You don't have control over. So all you can do is love them well and then um, hope that it passes so that they don't mm-hmm. have to struggle so much. In your book, Lisa, you bring up your family that you just mentioned before. And I remember you told me this story in our first interview and it was so beautiful how much has been achieved and how much you have achieved. But I wanted to recap that your family came from Ecuador and they were so unbelievably poor when they came here. And you said that they had so much love between them, your mother and your father, yet they had to survive by paying bills and doing all those things which we have to do to just live an existence Mm -hmm. on this earth. And they had their children and it was hard for them and they used to fight. I wanted to acknowledge that, that even with a heart full of love, things can be really tough. I wanted you to speak to that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up and I was very young, I used to sometimes think and wonder, like, are my parents right for each other because they would fight all the time. And, but as I grew up, I started seeing that the problem wasn't their love. Like the love for the love was really strong between them, but the problem was actually structural is that within the home of our family, right? The external pressure of poverty was crushing in on us and they were trying to keep the walls alive. They were literally trying to figure out 
how to pay rent each month, how to feed us, how to do these things that I consider like to be human rights. People should have houses and people should have access to food. And um, but at that time, especially in the mid 90s in the United States, the poverty in the city of Boston where I grew up in, it was so real and so intense. And my parents were feeling that because they were constantly getting pushed around by these waves of poverty. And luckily, we didn't become homeless, but we were always sort of like at that edge where it was just so hard for them to pay rent all the time. But now as I've gotten older, and as my brother and my sister and I, we range now from the ages of 40 to my little sister being, my, my older brother's 40, my little sister's 25, where we all take care of ourselves. We all have our own homes and we, we have jobs and we help our parents. And now I see the love of my parents as like, it's just, it's bristling. It's so bright. It's, there's, it's so abundant. And they don't argue the way they used to in the past. You know, they mm. more so like jokingly argue where they're just like being a bit comedic in front of us. But, you know, the, the love is so much more um, apparent now because they just don't have that external pressure of poverty pushing against them. Yeah, I think that's so true. I wanted to highlight that story because people have struggles in their life that they can't help that that's what that's life just what's has given them yeah. yeah and and that adds on to your mental health and and not being so easy to be able to just turn on a switch and be happy go to that yoga class or do those things they're just trying to survive and i think that's really important to highlight and i also want to know how you went from being in a situation like that to be able to grow so much and be talking to me here today Millions of people follow your work. Their life has changed from your beautiful words. How did that even come to take place? It, it honestly just feels surreal. Um, I feel lucky to be able to, I don't know, to be able to, to help myself, to help my family, to, to be able to hopefully write things that are useful to people. That's really my goal when I try to write is like, you know, what I put out there may it be useful. And it's taken on a life of its own where it's just spread online and people are really finding a lot of solace in the words. And particularly when people are going through tough moments, like I hear a lot from people who have gone through divorces, who have lost a dear family member, people who are just going through major transitions and are trying to use those moments of transitions as a point of growth for themselves mm. so that they're not just, you know, trying to survive, but they're trying to come out of it thriving. They want to learn. And, and it's been, it's been beautiful. Honestly, I just feel very, very incredibly fortunate. And, you know, like all things, I feel like um, it's happening now, but I may write a few more books, but it's not something that I'm trying to like really hang on to. Like, I feel like this is great and I'm, I'm glad to be of service in this way right now, but Let's see, you know, I may write a few more books, but then I may turn my attention to another area. Mm, beautiful. You started looking inwards and took up Vipassana meditation. And you say Vipassana means to see things as they truly are, which I just think is so beautiful. And what you also started practicing is this idea of radical honesty. I'd love you to tell us a bit more about that. 
Yeah. So the radical honesty piece actually started before Vipassana, like literally about a year before I started my first course, before I did my first silent 10 day course, I spent that whole year, literally the point from where I stopped doing serious drugs. And I knew that the problem that, you know, the, the thing that had really caused this cascade of me falling down to this level where I was just an absolute mess, it was built on this engine of of lying to myself. And I was like, okay, so if I got here by lying to myself, then maybe I can pull myself out of here by telling myself the truth. <laughs> and, <laughs> I and, love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you know, a simple idea, but when it was put into practice, boy, was it difficult. And I would literally just make myself just sit with tough emotions, be with whatever it was that I was feeling, even if it was tumultuous and just like let myself feel it, sit with it, honor the fact that it was there. And th that alone felt like an incredibly powerful practice because that started teaching me that I could literally feel these emotions without becoming them or without getting overwhelmed by them or without letting them control my actions. And after a year of doing that, you know, alone, a friend of mine told me about Vipassana meditation and he was like just so deeply moved by it that I knew that I had to go check it out for myself. And when I went there, I did that first 10 day course. It was just so incredibly difficult. I felt immediately immediate results. Yeah. I remember I did that 10 day course and I came out of it and I knew that I felt fundamentally better, but I didn't understand why, you yeah. know, I knew that whatever was, well, you know, the, those hours of meditation had really affected me. This is back in 2012. So it's been like 10 years of meditating now, but I immediately signed up for another silent 10 day course two months later. So I did my first one, July, 2012. I did my second one, September 2012. And basically since then, I've just been doing courses. And the, the last course that I did was in January, February, I did a silent 45-day course. And 45 they, days. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 45 days. It you know definitely sounds long <laughs> and it was long, but it's just so powerful. I feel like it's the yeah. best investment that I can make in myself. And it does take up time. Like I have to give time to it. But the results are massive and like nothing else I, have I found that can give such results in the sense of sort of connecting me to the truth of impermanence, connecting me to this like path of liberation that mm. the Buddha has laid out and also just creating harmony in my life. Like my life is not perfect and like I still feel anger and sadness and different things, but I know how to deal with them now. And I, yeah. and I know how to not react to these sensations when they come up. So that in a way where, you know, I'm not like hiding from anything. I'm, I'm feeling these yeah, things, but I'm not being motivated by them, mm. which is a huge difference. I find that to be so true about meditation. It's really when you're there with your emotions and if you've bottled anything down, they come up and it's this, it's almost like a shedding of mm. those feelings that maybe you haven't allowed to bubble to the surface and I want to know, 45 days in silent meditation is incredible and something I wish to do one day. Can, what, can you explain a bit about that and that experience? Sure, yeah. So for the 45 days, you spend the first 15 days um, practicing a technique called anapana, which is basically the awareness of the natural breath. And 
It helps calm and concentrate your mind. And then for the remainder of the days, after those first 15 days are done, you practice Vipassana, which is essentially observing the truth of reality within the framework of the body. And through the observation of the body, it actually connects you to the truth of impermanence, the truth of change that's pervasive throughout the entire universe. And you'll actually you know, be able to understand how things fundamentally work in the universe by observing what's happening inside. And through that process, there's a lot of this sort of shedding and burning away of old conditioning, literally all these old blind reaction patterns, these old habits that have been sort of bundled up inside of you, these knots that burn away as the more that you are observing the truth of change. And yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, especially the part where you, like during the whole 45 day course, 43 of those days are in total silence. And during those 43 days, I was checked by the teacher twice. So I think once around, I think once during day seven and then another time on like day like 26 or something like that. But those are the only two times when I spoke and, and they were tiny moments, you know, the teacher just coming to make sure that I was doing okay. And once he saw that I was working properly, that it was the end of the interview. So literally like five minutes. And then after the 43 days are done, we spend day 44 and day 45. The people in the course, everyone starts speaking again and we meditate less because during those 43 days, we're meditating about 11 hours a day. And then the last two days, we bring it down to about like six hours a day. And a lot of the other time we spend it just talking and hanging out and everyone's sort of extroverting themselves because they've been so <laughs> introspective over the past yeah month and a half. That's so interesting. Were there tumultuous periods within that 45 days? Yeah. I mean, the mind is so creative when it wants to stop you from doing what's good for you. <laughs> it is, and, isn't um, it? Yeah, it's it's so, so creative. So yeah, there were definitely moments where either points of my past would come up or sort of imaginary fears of the future, you know, yes. like fears of, I don't know, of losing my wife or like, you know, if something happened to her, like what, what would my life be like? Or, mm. and just like seeing the depth of these attachments, you know, they, they just run so deep and a lot of it is mixed with love, but a lot of it is also this rejection of impermanence, like me trying to recoil so hard, like my ego trying to recoil so hard against, you know, anything being taken away that I really find that I really enjoy. Can we talk about that? Because I find that to be a really interesting thing. We could talk about it, you know, in an intellectual level, but if anyone's ever faced with someone in their family having a diagnosis or losing yeah, yeah. someone, it becomes all too real. And really, we'd be ignorant to think that we're not going to ever have a loss in our life of something that we really care about. Yeah. We will all go through that. Yep. And I know that you've done a lot of work into this. And I wonder with those people, your family members, your wife, how have you learned that you can almost know that there is that impermanence of life and not have that feeling of relying on them or it's so much more than that. It's that feeling of love that you have, but being able to still love that even if they're not here, because I think that is just so hard for any person going through a human experience, which we all are, to ever have to face. I think it's really, I think it's one of the hardest parts of being human. 
yeah. is that there will so be too. people that you come in contact with, including yourself, that will exactly. eventually dissolve into the nothingness. But I like to think about it as like impermanence itself, right? Impermanence itself allowed us to even have the opportunity to love. Mm. Like if it were not for this systematic motion of this movement of mind and matter that is pervasive throughout the universe, you and I would not exist. Like humanity would never exist. If everything in the universe were static and unchanging, nothing would be created. So because things are in motion, it creates this momentary sort of existence and then eventually it passes away and dissolves like everything else. So I like to think about it from that standpoint as like, one, thank goodness that I have this opportunity to spend with my wife, to spend with my mom and dad, because I'm, you know, getting so much from these relationships and I'm trying to give back so much to these relationships. And two, because they are created from this motion of impermanence, they're also going to go back into this sort of systematic motion of impermanence. So built into our relationship is a beginning and an end. That's just mm. a fact. And yeah, that's is. something that I feel like now when I make friendships or as I'm trying to own my relationships and be better present in them, like I keep that in the back of my mind. It's like, I have this moment in front of me, especially with my mom and dad. Like I have these moments in front of me with them. And it's like, I don't know how long they're going to last. Mm. Like, I don't know how much more often I can go to visit them during the weekend and to spend time with them and like talk about like world politics with my dad or talk about how the family is doing with my mom. And those moments to me feel so precious that when I feel lazy in those moments, trust me, like I'm a big proponent of rest, but I also feel like it's easy to fall into this uh, malaise, especially with our cell phones around yes, us, just be like swiping yes. and all of that. And when I ever feel myself falling into that, when I'm around them, I'm like, no, dude, come on. You love these people. You yeah. came here to see them, be with them. And giving them my presence will help in the, whenever those moments do come that they pass away or I pass away, that I at least know that I was there with them. I was able to love them well. And I did my best. I love that so much. And it's so true. And the fact that you know that and are consciously aware of that, what more can you do? And I think it is that presence, just being there, being fully there. And when we're really in tune with our relationships and just also not judge them for what they are. So, you right. know, parents yeah. can get on our nerves because that's the job of mm -hmm. a parent to their child. <laughs> doesn't matter who you are. I've got a couple of kids and I can tell you I get on their nerves and they're little. Not pushing back on that and just accepting people for who they are and then just enjoying those moments with them. As you said, when time does come around because it will inevitably in all our it's lives, mm -hmm. even for ourselves, that we're able to go, I was there with them and I enjoyed the time that I had with them. I think that's, that's really beautiful. I wanted to add too, like I think one of the sort of the, the points of regret that a lot of people feel, like I've been to a number of funerals and I've seen a number of people pass away, different people that we, that my family and I have known and whatnot, but there's just so much regret, mm. so much like I wish I would have done this and I wish I would have done that. And if you're really living a life of presence where you're trying to be there for yourself and for the people 
that are close to you, that you have the deepest connections with, then you're trying to create a situation where there's less and less regret. Of course, there are going to be mistakes, but you won't hold back the love you have for them. You won't hold back telling them how you care yeah. for them, helping them in different moments and just like being there in a way that feels nourishing for the both of you because it's better, of course, it's like better doing it live and in action as opposed to like waiting until that moment and then realizing like, oh, I could have acted in different ways that would have been, yeah. And relationships is such a big part of the human experience and something that I feel that we can all be so fulfilled with if we're able to give people, like you mentioned, if we're radically honest, even in our relationships, and mm-hmm. if we're present, not only is our cup filled, but then the the cups of the people that we're with are as well. And what I always say is, well, you don't have to have a zillion friends by no means. We all live busy lives and we're all doing our things. But to have a couple of friends that you can just be your true self to and then that they can show up. And as we said, with no judgment in either of the relationship to each other, it's a really beautiful thing that we can share with one another. Yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting, I think, uh, dynamic that happens to a lot of people is that um, you know you only have a finite amount of time. And especially as you start delving into your personal growth, a lot of the sort of more superficial relationships, and I'm not saying they're necessarily bad relationships, but they might be on the lighter level. They kind of fall a little bit to the wayside because there are key people in your life that you're trying to deepen with, that you're trying mm-hmm. to really, especially like for me, when I started really delving into personal transformation and personal growth, I saw that a lot of my relationships were shallow. Yes. Like my relationships with my wife, with my mom and dad, with my brother, with my uh, best friend, Lennon, who I also mentioned in the book, like these were relationships that were too focused on momentary pleasure and too focused on like either like going to parties or watching movies, but we're not like spending time together. We're not being very intentional about getting to know each other, about allowing and creating spaces of vulnerability when we can like really increase that connection. So, uh, um, but when you do that, when you're more open to vulnerability, I think it takes a good amount of energy. So like, you know, a lot of people can have a really deep few conversations in the weekend and then feel emotionally tired. Like they need to like uh, take a little break. So to do that with hundreds and hundreds of people doesn't really seem possible. Have you fostered those relationships knowing that there was a point where you found that they weren't nurturing for either of you to the point that you would like? What did you then change? I think especially with, uh, I mean, my like key relationship is with my wife. Her and I, we've been together now for about 15 years. We got together when she was 18 and I was 19. I feel like we raised each other, you know, because we we, <laughs> <laughs> we got oh, together so, so nice. young. And, um, and we've also been married for about seven years now. I remember that there was just always this really deep connection between us because there were a number of moments where we tried to call it off. And we were so caught in this hurricane of chaos between us where we we're always arguing and it, and it was all sort of increased by the fact that there was no emotional maturity between the two of us. But as we started meditating, because she's also a serious meditator as well. She was at that same 45-day course 
that I mentioned earlier, we started realizing that we were constantly projecting our tension onto each other and just blaming each other for things that we were feeling that Mm. weren't necessarily caused by each other. So like as that self-awareness grew, not only did, did the amount of arguments we had start decreasing, but there was just more communication. And I feel like that's what was really missing was like we were often talking, but we were not communicating. Um, so letting each other know, like, I don't really feel that great right now. You know, like let, like when you wake up, sometimes you wake up and you feel great. Other times you wake up and you're exhausted. Other yeah. times you wake up and you're just like a little angry. But letting each other know where we stand in our yes. emotional spectrum um, helps so much because if she tells me she doesn't feel good, I know that. And I can also step up for the two of us. And I can also make sure to ask her, like, how can I help you through the day mm. so that it isn't so hard? And I think that has just added a whole nother element beyond the being able to like talk to each other about everything and being best friends. That's so true. There's this beautiful line in your book that you say, being with the down moments is better than carrying unprocessed pain everywhere you go. I just love that because not only is that good for ourselves, but it's good for everyone that is around that. And I think you can really tell when there are people that you might feel have attacked you or say things that have upset you where you feel there's unprocessed pain that is at stake there and not to judge anyone because we never know each other's journeys. And that is why doing this sort of work is so unbelievably important because I think unprocessed pain can be really detrimental. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, that game that people played as children, like hot potato? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You're just like passing it on and on and on. And that's literally what we do with our pain. We're just like passing it on to each other, passing it on. And there's this, I like to picture this giant web of humanity and people pass on the pain, pass on the pain. They're like creating new pain, passing it on, passing it on. And what I imagine is that there are going to be more and more people who are like deeply healing themselves, who will know how to process pain when they feel it process pain when they're receiving it from other people Mm. so that they're not recreating it and so that they're able to actually heal themselves so that in this web of humanity there will be points where pain won't necessarily get passed on just because i'm traumatized i'm going to deal with another person in a harmful manner there will be literal points where that won't spread and i think as there are more and more points in this web of humanity where healed people are standing there and saying, oh no, you know, I know everyone's not going to treat me nicely, but when someone doesn't treat me nicely, I know what to do. I have my tools and I'll make sure that I'm okay. And then I interact with people in a gentle manner so that they're okay as well. That's so interesting because I feel that I've become a lot better in my life with that, in dealing with people who may be passing on their trauma or say something that some could find offensive and not taking it to heart. But I would love to know in your toolkit what you use for moments like that. I think the the main moment has to be so the two hours of meditation that I do every day. Yeah. Um, that that by far is like my go-to, like every day for I think I started in March of 2015. I started sitting two hours a day. So that that's like two pillars of my day where no matter what, I sit one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. It's not always the same time every day, but they're always like 
two different points of the day where I'm just sitting down and observing what's happening within this framework of the body. What, what's it feeling? What's arising and passing? And um, that helps me just process any of the difficulties that come up, like different challenges with, within the family network or whatever may be coming up or just like old things that, I'm, that are coming up for me from the past. I feel like those are my points of stability when I invest in my personal growth by sitting down and meditating every day. Mm. And tell me, with your meditation practice, with Vipassana, I know obviously we spoke about the silent retreats. Is it an hour in the morning and an hour at night as well? Yeah, Is yeah. That- so that's that's part of the same. If you want to sit the the longer courses, like the 20-day, 30-day, 45-day courses, you need to have a daily practice of two hours a day to yes. be able to make you eligible to set those courses, among yeah. other things. We spoke about thoughts before, and I want to talk about that idea more, that we're in charge of our thoughts and people and counsellors and psychologists can guide us to techniques and things that can help us, but it is us that basically controls them. And you say everything changes when you realise the challenge itself isn't the toughest part, it's your reaction to the challenge. And as we said, I mean, everything in our external world is always changing. That's the nature of life and our existence on this earth. But when our internal world is far more secure, we can then handle our external world a lot better. Yeah. You know, it's funny because one thing I've learned that I've observed over and over inside of myself and other fellow meditators have mentioned similar things too, is that these thoughts have very little value. The mind is often trying to create narratives and often these narratives are based off of reaction. Oftentimes I'll just notice that the the thoughts I'm having are just the sounds that reactions make. And if I give like credence to those thoughts and start focusing in on them and, and allow the building of a story, then sure, they're just gaining more and more energy and power over my mind. But a lot of times the random things that just pop into my head, I just don't give them much importance. If I'm like intentionally sitting down to like think about something or try to solve a problem, then it's very different. Whereas intention versus reaction. But if it's just random noise in the mind, I'm not trying to worry about it. Um, sometimes it'll be tough. Sometimes it'll be hard to not, not to like get caught up in some random thought of anxiety. But I yes. know that it, you know, it's just this feeling that's trying to voice itself. Thought itself is. I think in a lot of ways, it's more of a space where where we cause our, ourselves trouble as opposed mm. to solving problems. It's so funny how we go down the rabbit hole like that. It makes me think of this email that came through last night and it was like a group all to a few, there was probably 40 people in the email and it was about something. And I thought, I reckon that is targeted at me. And it was, it was saying, don't do this, yada, yada. But I didn't know that for sure. There's 40 people on this email and I made up this whole story in my head about I'm sure that she's trying to say to me, like, don't go through this, go through the other avenues, la, la, la. And then I spoke to a friend and I'm like telling her about it and all this stuff. And then there was this moment and it should never have gotten to that stage where I thought, this story, I don't even know if it's true. I am (laughs) making up this whole story about this email that may not even be true. And I'm not going to ask her, so I have no idea. But why would I put that negative lens on it and make my night bad 
rather than just say to myself, you don't know for sure that this is true. It's probably not true. No one's approached you personally about it. And then just leave it at that. I think it's strange. I feel like in a in a very real way, we are so conditioned towards survival that it's like we're constantly like any type of perceived potential danger, we just start elaborating and thinking yes. about all the different possibilities. And it's like, how can I protect myself? But it's like, hey, you're okay. You know, you have to remind yourself that you're not actually in danger. There's no need for like fight or flight mode. Like it's totally fine. And your imagination is just running away with itself. So true. Diego, I'd love to know what is the best advice that you have ever been given? To accept. <laughs> it's uh, it's really simple. But yeah, I was talking to a teacher that I really look up to in my tradition. And he was telling me a story about one of his friends who's also a teacher in the same tradition. And um, he was talking to someone who was really wise and was asking him, like, how do I progress? Like, how do mm. I how do I move forward? Like in this meditation path. And the old man just told him, just accept, just, just accept, just accept what's happening. Stop trying to like do so much. Stop trying to, you know, compare yourself like, oh, this is a good meditation. That's a bad meditation. Literally that's all in the past. It's done. It's, it's doesn't exist anymore. There's only now. So as opposed to like comparing it in that manner, what is happening right now? And I think the just accept to me is a sort of a flip on that classic Ram Dass, like be here now. Yeah. Because there's literally nothing else besides what's happening right now. So especially as a meditator, because like meditation is the centerpiece of my life. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm a meditator first and a writer second. And that comes up all the time because the, the mind is constantly trying to evaluate and compare. And all it has is the past and the future to do that, right? Mm. To like, just keep comparing, but I'm literally trying to train myself to not do any of that comparison, to just observe, to just be with what's happening right now, just accept it. Even if it's hard, even if it's really tough or ugly, just be with it. That's so true because I think in life, we always want to be a lot further along than what we are, or if we're not accepting where we are now, we're never going to be happy. And I mean, there is striving and people Mm -hmm. strive to want to do well and be successful, but also you are where you are because that's where you are. That's just what it is. Wanting to be somewhere else is not going to get you there. Uh, Mm -hmm. We need to have full acceptance that we are here and do the best, as you said, with the moment that we're in. Otherwise we go so much into that lack mentality where we just feel that we're not enough and that we should be further along or whatever it is, we don't have a partner or who knows what. But when we have that acceptance of here and now, then we can make peace with what is. Yeah. And you know, uh, a truth like that, it's something that you can carry with you throughout your life because it can just hit at different levels in different moments. And I find that within my you know regular life when I'm not meditating or when I'm sitting on the cushion, it's just this like constant thing where you know, you don't want to fight the motion of life, right? Like life is like a river. It's constantly moving. You're better off trying to assess what's happening. Okay. Yes. This is the current situation at hand, but let me flow with it. Let me try to make the decisions or the, the actions that I need to make to address things. Mm. But at the same time, I can't fight it. 
this is just what's happening now. So let me flow with it instead of fighting it. Mm. What's your favorite prayer or poem or saying? I mean, my favorite word is change. Like it's that's the thing that I think about often. Like I was asked this once in an event, I think like right before the pandemic, someone asked me to summarize in one word what I'm learning in this life. I was like, oh, impermanence, you know, change. It's just when I reject change, I cause myself misery. So I need to learn how to embrace it. Mm. And that's something that I'm always just constantly thinking about. What's your greatest hope for society today? I think my greatest hope is that this healing generation that's emerging, I think it's something so massive. I feel like Never before in human history has there been this many people, literally millions of people around the world who are actively trying to heal themselves of old trauma and old hurt. I think that there isn't, I mean, as far as for recorded human history, I don't know of another time where there have been so many different tools available, whether they're Eastern or indigenous tools or Western tools. There are so many different healing modalities now and people are using them. I think that that has been the missing piece, right? Because so many different groups have tried to like build wor world peace through some method or another, but what has always been missing is inner peace. And yes. um, I'm really counting on the fact that inner peace is blossoming within more and more people. And then that will help us unlock a new level of creativity and a new sort of energy for life that will help us look at these old problems in new ways. What's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? Oh, interesting. Um, that, uh, the first time when I really felt that this mind-matter phenomenon, right, that I think of as Diego, when I really felt that that was not fundamentally real, and I was really able to feel that this is just a rapid series of changing phenomenon, that it's just atomic vibrations moving at incredible speeds connecting at different different levels of like the atomic the organic and the sort of conventional but it's all just totally effervescent like it's just ephemeral it's not mm. it's not substantial to be being able to feel how it, insubstantial i am helps me understand that sort of ultimate level truth that there's nothing there there's no self um, and being able to understand that actually helped a lot with the conventional life because there's two truths. There's this um, monk, Lady Saida, from um, the very early 1900s who he wrote once, like there's two truths and um, either one that you speak of is you're not lying. So you are real and you're not real. And I feel like a lot of times like that's what we're doing is with this these deeper wisdom teachings, we're trying to balance those two truths and being able to understand that ultimate reality truth that no, you're not fundamentally real. Um, it's just changing phenomenon, moving at incredible mm. speeds, um, I think helps take the pressure off of life where it's just much more easier to align yourself with what's the right thing to do in the moment yes. as opposed to like what your ego wants to happen. There's this beautiful poem uh, towards the end of your book that I wanted to read because it really sums up a lot of what we've been talking about. Let go more than once. Let go when an old pattern wants to drag you back into the past. Let go when narratives run wild into your mind. Let go every time you try to cause yourself extra trouble. 
there is healing in repetition soon. Peace will feel familiar. That's so beautiful. Thank you. That one feels so true because it's like, you know, every time that you react, you're accumulating. Every time that you have like a strong reaction of anger, it just gets deposited deep inside your mind. And you've actually accumulated so much of this reaction of anger. And as you start processing and unloading and unbinding all this, this stuff through whatever healing method you're, you're using, like you'll face it and you'll have to like let it go over and over again. And it's powerful to be able to accept the fact that like, this is not going to be a fast journey. Mm. What is a life of greatness to you? I think it's a life of love. I think it's a life of service. Um, I feel like if I'm able to, like for me personally, if I'm able to stay aligned with the things that help propel me forward on my personal journey, like as an individual without any of these, like, you know, external components of life, um, then no matter what, it's a life of like moving gently, moving with the intention of love and moving with the intention of service. And if I'm able to, stay aligned with that, then life will be phenomenal. It'll be great. I wanted to send you love because you finish your book, Sending Love to All. And I think I've interviewed a lot of people and you are truly embodying everything that you talk about. You're such a beautiful soul and you can really tell that in the work that you do. It's so sincere and honest and it's come through the many years of pain that you had and the wisdom that you have now. And I want to thank you so much because really you've made a, a huge difference in this world. Thank you so much. And likewise, honestly, like getting to spend this moment with you is like so deeply rejuvenating. So I'm grateful to you as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.